Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here we go. 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 This is it. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Top Flight Time Machine, the podcast that will look back at the history of the Premier League, but filtered through the adult minds of two middle-aged men. Because middle-aged men doing football podcasts is just what the world needs right now. Right? Right. I'm Andy Dawson and it's going to be myself and Sam Delaney. Hello everyone, hello Andy. Who will be your guide through over a quarter of a century of football in excellence and shameless commercial greed. So let's start at the very beginning, the 1992-93 season, which saw the launch of the Premier League. Sam, do you have an abiding memory of that first season? Yeah, my team West Ham not being in it. That's just what I was going to say. Other than the fact that your team, West Ham, weren't involved. My team, Sunderland, weren't involved either. I think West Ham didn't take it seriously. It was uh, at the beginning of that decade, we'd just um, gone through the traumatic, um, uh, you know, sort of Shakespearean drama of Harry Redknapp dethroning his best mate, Billy Bonds, at the helm of the club. And I don't think that the old-fashioned board of directors or any of the old-fashioned cockneys who were in charge of anything there at the time thought this Premier League malarkey was really going to catch on. (laughs) And so we got relegated, not realising, because we got relegated the previous oh, right, season. the end of the football The previous season, season yeah. Right. So like, oh, no, we're not going to be in the Premier League. But no one at West Ham took it seriously, because they thought, oh, it's just a silly, daft thing. No one's going to carry it's on like doing that. It's like daily boppers. Yeah, it's like just a passing phase. And uh, it was quite gutting, because we did come up after one season. But that first season where it kicked off on Sky with all the fanfare and yeah. hysteria surrounding it, I was 17 when it kicked off. And I'd sort of, through the, the grim days that we now look back on with nostalgia, you know, it was the 80s, and we all look back now and we're like, oh, wasn't it great with tight shorts and muddy pitches and golf balls with nails in and all the rest of it? Yeah. Actually, throughout that period, I kind of had a fantasy of it being a little bit more like America with cheerleaders. And one thing that I remember I really craved was names on the back of shirts. I thought that was really cool when you saw it in American sports. And that was one of the innovations of the Premier League. I just wanted things to be more like American sports. I don't know why. I just thought it was cool. Now, of course, I'm an old man. I think, oh, God, why has it been all Americanized? Why can't we go back to what it was like in the 80s? Why was I such a knob? Well, I was such a knob. But at the age of 17, I didn't have any of that, oh, I hate modernity. I was I craved it, yeah. and West Ham missed out on it, and so I was really gutted when it started. Well, it did start, as you say, with a lot of razzle dazzle and, and flim flam and jizz jazz and all that sort mm. of thing. Um, there was the uh, the Sky cheerleaders that you mentioned there, mm. the Sky Strikers, I think they were called. Yeah, and uh, didn't did they come out of a giant football in the middle of the pitch? Did a, did a enormous football appear on the pitch? Then sort of. Fall it, I want to say explode, but just sort yeah, of collapsed. Just collapsed outwards. And a load of 
borderline illegal young girls started dancing around for the entertainment of Richard Keyes in sexy outfits. I, I can't remember that. I can't confirm or deny that, but I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I happened. can't confirm or deny either, but that's what I imagine happened. It, it I'm sa- pretty it sure like it did. the sort of thing they would have done. Yeah, it? Richard Keyes in a sort of a, a yellow blazer. Yeah. Uh, with mustard yellow. Really mustard garish. yellow with brass buttons. With his eyebrows that have been darkened. Especially. Three sizes too big. Yeah. Um, Sky a sky sort of logo on the massive massive over the top sky logo on the breast really pleased with himself like yeah. he's just been elected president of Which the provincial his, golf club in his mind he kind of had yeah early, hadn't he? and it was like top a provincial job. golf club and it actually remained that way really until until they were binned till they were binned <laughs> for, for horrible sexism but of course we won't dwell on that that's for a future podcast <laughs> one that is. i personally can't wait for <laughs> one, <laughs> one other thing that happened there was a um there was a parachutist, the, the skydiver, that came yeah. out of an aeroplane mm. with a match ball. That might have been the first match. It might have been one of the Monday night sort yeah. of gimmicks that they did. And I've, I've seen footage of um, a pre-Christmas match where the Sky Striker cheerleaders all come out of the middle of a massive red Christmas cracker into Lovely the middle stuff. of the pitch to the sound of the Joe Loss Orchestra's March of the Mods. <laughs> shall, we, shall we hear a little bit of March yeah, of the Mods right I don't now? know how that song goes. <laughs> There you go then, March of the Mods. It was actually, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, it was actually part of um, Jive Bunny's Christmas single that year. So it wasn't, they hadn't just said, let's play March of the Mods. They hadn't been clever. They'd, no, it no, had been it curated was, for them by Jive Bunny. By Jive Bunny, yeah. Who played, in many ways, a, a, a huge role in, in all of culture during that era. Jive pretty Bunny. Much, yeah, Pretty much um, every few months we we get an update on on culturally where we should be mm. from uh, from the, the bunny the cartoon bunny himself yeah cultural barometer so that was the start of it the first match was um, the first live match was Nottingham Forest against Liverpool right and Forest won that one 0 with a Teddy Sheringham goal and was this Cluffy's last season as well it was Cluffy's last season we'll get to that a bit later on yeah so it started well for him mm. and finished horribly. Yeah. In a fog of He'd already belted failure. a fan on the pitch by this stage. Oh, he'd done that. Yeah, that, that was, was mid, a few mid years before. That, yeah, that was at the height of the hooliganism. Prompting that headline, shit hits fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is it! it. <laughs> match of the Day came back. Because Match of the Day had been off the air for four years. Yeah. Because um, ITV had had all the highlights. And ITV missed out on the, um, on the rights because Sky got them with the BBC clinging to Sky's court deals for the highlights. So Match of the Day came back with the dream team of Des Lynham, Gary Lineker and Alan Hansen. Yeah. What a line. That's Hollywood. It was a, it was a revolution in football broadcasting that match of the day. More, to a greater extent, what you had was you had two brand new sort of propositions in football on TV. You had the Sky Sports live coverage, which you've described that was... Very American, very glitzy, really over the top. Yeah. Huge emphasis on, you know, sexy young girls yeah. and parachutes. <laughs> okay, and, and then you've got Richard Keys. It's all a bit over the top and crass, like they've overreached. Yeah. The BBC have thought, we're going to go the other way. And what they did was they thought, let's elevate it in terms of... Let's elevate it in, by being more understated. Because you've got Lynham, who's the ultimate understated broadcaster. Yeah. There's Lynham, a man who apparently didn't even 
like football that much. He was into really? b- boxing was his sport, right. right? He wasn't that big a fan of football. And when you look at it, that's what made him such a great footballing broadcaster. He didn't give a shit. Because he didn't care. He thought it was slightly absurd. I mean, years later, he, of course, uh, memorably opened the coverage of England's semi-final against Germany in Euro 96 <laughs> by saying, evening, everyone. You might have heard there's a football match going on tonight when like the whole fucking nation yeah. was sat there ready, hungry for, for this game. And I think the fact that he was like that and Lineker, you know, had his sort of wry way about him and was slightly more erudite and was still so... It was so soon after the end of his um, prestigious career that it felt really like box office to have Lineker sat there. I think and then Hansen, his, he still had his knackered tour in a box of ice, apparently. Really? really knacked So he'd only just Japan. got back from Japan with yeah. his dodgy toe. And... Hanson, of course, uh, he rewrote the rule book of punditry. He, did. he, he really did. did. He did. He had his vein in his head, yeah. which was captivating right from the first moment we set eyes upon it. I'd never noticed it in his playing days, but it was so much more vivid when he was under the harsh lights of the BBC studios. I think it was a stress and adrenaline thing as well. Yeah. Doing live broadcasting. And on the pitch, he was so calm, he was such a calm defender. Yeah. That the vein was never activated because he never felt stressed. Didn't, didn't need it. But he was out of his comfort zone in yeah. in front of the cameras, and so the vein came out and to L- play. Lineker <laughs> as well. Lineker, he's kind of wasted a bit now, I think, as a presenter because he was a really, really good pundit in the early days. People forget that because mm. they're, they're everyone, we all had let's call it a man crush on Alan Hansen when he came along and yeah. did what he did. So we were distracted. He, he, he analysed games in a way we'd never seen before because mm. we, we'd just been used to Jimmy Hill prattling on. He was an, he, he, he introduced the idea of angry analysis, didn't he, yeah. Alan Hansen? Yeah. But a- he was charmingly angry. A- a- Alanisus, you could call it. Yes, even. yeah. He rewrote the, rewrote the word. Yeah, the word was didn't changed for a while. rewrite, redesign the fucking you Look concept. up the word a- analysis in any dictionary published in the 90s and you'll just see a picture of Alan Hansen <laughs> and his vein. And now we've got Jermaine Genus. Yeah. Right. Well, we've got Gary Neville, haven't we? People love Gary Neville now, the way that... I mean, if you look at it, over the years, there was Hanson, then there was Andy Gray, who, prior to him becoming a misogynist... A sexist, yeah. Uh, but, or before us discovering it, at least, was really well regarded <laughs> yeah. as a as a fantastic pundit. And then Neville, and if you look at the history of punditry, that's in modern punditry, that was it. That's the Holy Trinity. It was yeah. Hanson, Begat Gray, Begat Neville. Yeah. Begat Carragher? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Is I think Carragher's sub, all, I would say Carragher's almost up there. Carragher's like a kind of a, a, a third limb on, on Neville, almost. Yeah. A succubus. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but I, I love the idea of well, it. We'll and I a, wasn't expecting that word to be deployed we'll, we'll this early him, in the podcast. We'll call him a Gary Neville succubus then. Rhythm is a Dancer there oh. from Snap. And of course, that was number one on the first weekend of the Premier League. It's a great track to get you in the mood for watching top flight football. It is. It's jaunty. It's got a great beat, but it's also got a, a heavyweight lyric with the line, I'm as serious as cancer. Yeah, when I say when rhythm, I say, is dancer, yeah, rhythm is a dancer. Yeah, it's a dancer. Something it had, for everyone. It had a serious message. And, it did. Um, and it, so it was exhilarating but thought-provoking, just like football at the top level. Definitely. So, one of the teams that replaced your West Ham coming up into the Premier League at the, the launch of it in 92-93, Blackburn Rovers. Mm. 
big, big story that was because Kenny Dalglish had obviously taken over a year or two before and they were funded by Jack Walker's millions, yeah. as they were constantly referred to. Yeah. Seems like small feet now, yeah, doesn't it? Millions now, you he think. He had millions, yeah. Jack Walker. It's a bit like Dr. Evil demanding a million pounds from the <laughs> US government yeah. in Austin Powers. It's like millions just wouldn't cut the mustard these days if Basically, you were trying what, to do an unlikely assault on the league it's title. It's what Paul Pogba gets each month. Yeah. But back then, is is millions that he'd made from the buying and selling of um, abandoned shopping trolleys and broken pram wheels. What was the what was the television show which went out this time on BBC Two with Newman and Bedeal about football? It was a funny show. Was it Standing Room Only? Standing Room Only was the first thing they did, yeah, with Damon from Brookside. Yeah. yeah. Newman and Bedeal did a sketch where in the news that week it had been reported, this must have been a, a year or two beforehand actually, that uh, Jack Walker was trying to convince Kenny Dalglish to take over at Blackburn Rovers. Right. Now, Blackburn Rovers were a team that I was vaguely aware of, right? And I was heavily into football, but I was sort of like, Blackburn Rovers? I mean, it would be like saying... I mean, you know, it was, they were they were less on the radar than Accrington Stanley, because at least Accrington Stanley had featured in the milk advert, right? As a Southerner, did you feel that Blackburn Rovers was perhaps a made-up team? Yeah, it sounds like a made-up team from Roy Rovers when Roy Rovers, yeah. and they have to play a northern town. Yeah. You think Blackburn Rovers sounds silly. A mill town. Yeah, a mill town. It can't possibly be real. And then they'd said, right, we're going to have a... Uh, we, you know, Jack Walker's trying to hire Kenny Dalglish. Kenny Dalglish had, of course, walked away from Liverpool, traumatised, post-Hillsborough. Yeah. And he was regarded as pretty much the Mourinho of his time. He was the number one manager in our minds in the world. Yeah. And we thought, how absurd is it that Blackburn Rovers are trying to hire him? It would be now like Berry making a move for Guardiola. Yeah. And anyway, the reason I bring up Newman and Padilla is they did a sketch about it and they portrayed Jack Walker as insane. You wouldn't be able to do it now because you've got to be very sensitive around portraying people with mental health issues. But then there was <laughs> then people weren't so sensitive about it, about those kind of things. It's alternative comedy, wasn't it? And yeah, it was like, <laughs> just like, went. basically teasing the mentally ill. was yeah. if, if you took that away from comedy in this era, there'd be nothing left. Yeah. And, and that's uh, they why comedy put, isn't funny now. And I think um, Newman, Rob Newman, had a funny grey wig on, and was cross-eyed because, of course, going cross-eyed <laughs> is how it. to demonstrate someone has mental illness. It's a key signifier of yeah. insanity, isn't and it? And he yeah. literally played it like someone from a loony bin, and that was Jack Walker. <laughs> you can't see a loony bin. Anymore. I know you can't now, but just if you're listening to this, uh, just know that I'm speaking in the context of the early '90s, so it's fine. And, uh, yeah, and he was trying to convince Doug Leash, played by Badil, to come to Blackburn Rovers. That's how absurd it was. It was considered the dream of a lunatic. It happened. <laughs> Doug Leash got them up at the first attempt and then immediately made a success of life in the Premier League. Immediately signed Alan Shearer for £3.6 million. Was Shearer in that team in, their first, in the first season? Yeah, he was. He, he was the big signing when they went up. They went up and they immediately, they immediately signed Shearer. Alan Shearer. That's amazing, isn't I it? can't remember who else they bought because they're, they're a really strong team. Like Tim Sherwood. I think Tim Sherwood. As well. Ripley and Jason Wilcox on the wings. The thing about 1992-93, it seems that everything was 4-4-2. Yes. There was no tactical variations whatsoever. It was pragmatic. It was nose to the grindstone. It was 4-4-2 or die. Yeah, yeah. This was still... But, you know... Before the Premier League, and this is the first year of the Premier League. It took a few years of the Premier League for the money to come in for us to then go and attract foreign talent, 
foreign coaches and all of those fancy ideas yeah. about sweepers. Sweepers were a big thing. I was thinking about sweepers the other day. You don't hear about that anymore. But in those days, if you watched uh, Football Italia yeah. on Channel 4... For a bit it of Exotica. Was, oh, yeah. It felt so sophisticated to uh, talk about sweepers. And yeah. Hullet played as a sweeper yeah. for uh, Sampdoria and then later did it for Chelsea. And all of that was considered so mad and pretentious, wasn't it? Didn't happen in 92, 93. No. 92, 93 was basically just um, the Football League Championship carried on under a new name. They didn't even have squad numbers the first year. Didn't and, they? And, you know, the, the, there was hardly any foreign players. There was 13 foreign players on the first day of that season. All 22 managers, because there were still 22 in the league, all 22 managers were British. I think one of those foreign players was Gordon Jury at Spurs. Jukebox. Jukebox Jury. Yeah. So it was very much a carry-on of business as you were, yeah. but with this new name and some cheerleaders and Richie Keys in a new wardrobe. Um, yeah, so it was all about the uh, surface. The aesthetics had changed, but yeah. really the meat and drink was just the same as it had ever been. It was going to take a few years for the real glitz of the Premier League to kick yeah. in. Uh, I mean, put it this way. If you want an indication of how old school um, uh, and English, quintessentially English, the Premier League was in its first year, Norwich were top of the league at Christmas, right? They were, and they had a negative goal difference at that point. They had a they negative goal difference, but still top of the league. Top of the league, they conceded more than they'd scored. That's maths, how mad maths worked differently in those it days. Did. That's how mad ninety two, ninety three yeah. was. So that was that was the start of December. Sh- Mike Walker was their manager, wasn't he? Mike he was Walker a was he was a manager. sort of strange, boring man, wasn't he? Yeah, but then he got poached by Everton. You got poached by Everton. I mean, why not? They they also had an amazing run in the UEFA Cup as a result of finishing so high in the league. They and they, I remember they beat. I think they beat Bayern Munich. They did. That was the following uh, season. They got into Jeremy the... Goss played for them, yep. and he was brilliant. And he scored a wonder volley against Bayern Munich. Halcyon days for Norwich City. But not yet. Yeah, Norwich were top of the league in December. Um, Blackburn were hot on their heels, and I mean the Premier League kind of came about because the the big five, as they were called mm. back then, they were the ones that wanted to break away league. They were the ones that wanted all the money. Greg Dyke got involved with them, and I think Greg Dyke only wanted those top five teams to be shown on TV, and no one else. Yeah. And they wanted all the money so they could just get more and accumulate more and spend more. But first season of the Premier League, uh, which of course was instigated by their agitation, the big five, only one of them actually finished in the top five at the end of the season. And that would have been United who won. That was Manchester United who won the league. And that was the first year they'd won it after their long hiatus, right? Um, Liverpool finished sixth. And mm. Liverpool had won the league, I think, in 1990. So yeah, that was years the last before, time they'd won and it. And then they were down to sixth. Arsenal won the league in 1991. Yeah. And in the first season of the Premier League, 1993, they finished 10th. Was that Bruce Rioch? That was that was still under George Graham. That was still George Graham. And that was with that back four that was that sort yeah. of lauded to this day. Arsenal lost 4-2 at home against Norwich on the first day of the season. And they lost seven matches at home that season. At Blimey. Home. So Arsenal fans, you think you've got a bad now? Cast your minds back in 92, 93. And what's also interesting about that is that the, the, the folklore about Arsenal is in those days of George Graham, they were impenetrable. They yeah. were nobody's mugs. They might not have played with the flair of some of Wenger's teams, but they were they were impossible to turn over. Bollocks. That's utter bollocks, Absolute Arsenal bollocks. They fans. They finished 10th in the first season of the Premier League and they lost seven games at home. The season, two seasons before when they'd won the championship, they lost once in the entire season. 
and then it all went to shit two years later. Mm. So that's why Riot came in a bit later on, leading to I mean, Vega. these are the days of David Hillier, Andy Linningham, if I'm correct, pronouncing that name correctly. I feel uncertain about it now, but you know the one who fell off Tony Adams' shoulders. in the, After the League Cup final, yeah. I think this year, I think in 93, was this not the year? I know we're sort of talking about Premier League, but if I can quickly go off on a Please do. to a different tournament. I think it was the year where it was... Arsenal versus Sheffield Wednesday in both cup finals. You're absolutely right, it was, yeah. Yeah, and I think Arsenal won them both. They did. But Wednesday had a good team back then, didn't they? they Trevor did. Francis in, 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 was the manager. Yep, and of course inspired by Chris Waddle. In fantastic. His, in his uh, twilight of his career. It was probably the best I'd ever seen. I mean, Chris Waddle was fantastic throughout his career at every club he played for. He was a, ge- he was a footballing genius, he was. wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and, but some of the best football I ever saw him play was in his final seasons at Sheffield Wednesday when he inspired them to, you know, they did they weren't far off winning the league in that he in did, that period. He dragged the team along, basically. And, uh, but he was particularly fat. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. He was a fatty by and that stage. Right. And it made no difference to his ability on the ball. If anything, as far as I can see, it made him better. Because he didn't sort of blow over or anything like that. Couldn't knock him was, off the ball. He was able to stay upright. He kept. He was always playing amazing balls with the outside of his boot. Yeah, that was his specialism, wasn't it? And he ended his career, unfortunately, at Sunderland, my team. Did he? He did. He scored the penultimate goal at Roker Park from a twenty-five yard free. So kick. he's one of the players who's played for both the Newcastle and Sunderland. He is. Yeah. There's not many of, of those. There's not many. No, Lee Clark was one mm. a few years ago, but then he wore a T-shirt which said um, "Sad Mac and Bastards." And we had to sell and him quite there, quickly. There, there was one lad who moved quite recently, wasn't there, directly from Sunderland. Is it Colback? Jack Colback went on a free transfer, yeah, and he's, mm. he's now been binned out. To fuck him, right? Yeah, fuck him in the eye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There we go, Shabba Ranks. Shabba! Uh, Shabba Ranks turned up on The Word when, yep. when he was promoting Versus that Mark track. And he had a, a row with Mark Lamar about his rampant homophobia. Yeah. Well done to Mark Lamar for taking him on. Yep. Uh, I was really terrified of Shabba Ranks. I thought he was a really... I remember sitting there watching him he is a really horrible man. Was it his angular hairstyle? If you think about him, he just seemed so... He seemed... Angry and aggressive. You think you just sort of... I felt uncomfortable around him. But this was just through the TV. Through the TV. Even watching him on the word. 
I'd never felt so uncomfortable watching the word as I did then, and that's saying something because <laughs> the lot. word often made me feel uncomfortable. There was a lot there. To Not make least you feel uncomfortable, wasn't it? who got didn't a um a lesbian get her vagina out on the word once? Um, I, I believe one member of the group L Seven removed a tampon. Oh, maybe that's during it. a performance. Sounds about right. Um, did, I mean, Whether or not she was a lesbian, I don't know. Maybe I've just made that assumption based on some terrible prejudices. I want to talk about Alan Cork. Yeah. Because we mentioned cup runs and Sheffield Wednesday, but Sheffield United also had a cup run. And I think that did the two not play each other in the semi-final? United That's right, Wednesday. they did. And Alan Cork started to grow a beard at the beginning of the cup run and it carried on right through the cup run. He wasn't going to shave it off until they got knocked out of the cup. And um, in the end, he looked like basically a prototype hipster that we have nowadays. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at a picture of him here in that game. Uh, he's in the same picture as Carlton Palmer, who was an unconventional-looking chap himself. Yep. And you think back to those days when we were we were really... the Our league was the poor relation of European football. The glamorous, exciting and sexy football and players were happening, most of all, first and foremost, in Italy, yeah. in Serie A. And then, it, you know, anywhere, really, even the likes of Portugal were considered above us in the rankings. And then you look at an image like that, you think this was a massive... I remember that game, the Sheffield Derby in the semi-final. I think it was the first, one of the first years they played it at Wembley. At Wembley, yeah. Because it was... I think it was, it was Tottenham-Arsenal in one semi and it was United-Wednesday in the other semi. So it was two derbies. So they had to play both semi-finals at Wembley to yeah. accommodate it. And this image... I mean, our listeners won't be able to see it. But you look at that and you imagine an Italian, <laughs> right, at that time, looking up what was going on in English football. And they, it, this was the era of probably Paolo Maldini, Roberto Baggio, and so on and so forth. You know, Del Piero probably over beautiful, in Italy. Beautiful, men. Athletes, Gorgeous men. Like, gods. like Roman gods, yeah. right? In these beautiful Italian shirts. Their shirts were so much nicer. Yeah. And the sun glistening on their lovely chiseled bodies, and then they thought, "Oh, there's Beads a ma- sweat on the forest. There's a massive game in in England. It's between two teams from a city called Sheffield. <laughs> Sheffield. I have not heard of that. What what is it? It's where they make all the knives and forks, right? It's a city known for making knives <laughs> oh, and it forks. It is important then. And um, one of the teams is Sheffield Wednesday. It's named after a day of the week. Why? Nobody knows. <laughs> And then Sheffield United. And these are their two star players. There's one. He's just like an elderly man, like fucking Gandalf. And then Carlton Palmer. I mean, Carlton Palmer looks extremely similar to Jar Jar Binks from the Star Wars prequels. He does, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not to say that either of them were bad footballers just because they looked weird. But Palmer almost looks like the polar opposite of Alan Hansen. He looks troubled. He's troubled at, at all times, yeah. yeah. He's a worried man. So Cork had the beard. He was a proto-hipster. Um, and then the other one that I've picked out as, as a kind of a, um, a sartorial genius was Ian Marshall at Oldham. Mm. I don't know if you've seen a picture of Ian Marshall in 92, 93. But um, he had the, the really long perm at the back. Kind of shoulder Oh, I'm the, looking the at it now. And he had mutton chop sideburns. There's a great image. If you get an image of him actually in motion from Google oh, Image yeah. running, then you there see the, the you see the full majesty of the hairdo. It's effectively three, maybe four hairstyles in one, isn't it? It is. 
He looks like the kind of fella who'd rule the roost in a pub that's got a sticky carpet with bits of glass in it, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he'd, he'd made me feel uncomfortable he, like Shabaranks. He was very much Oldham's answer to Shabaranks, he, wasn't he? Was, he? Wasn't he? But um, he's the sort of fella who put loads of rockabilly on the jug box. I don't really know if he was a homophobe. I want to say that now. No, in case, I, I, I don't think. In case Ian Marshall or the estate of Ian Marshall are listening, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the comparison I'm drawing here. members of the, the Marshall family. Mm. No, I wouldn't say so. I think even though he looks like a brute... I think that he'd be enlightened. Yeah. In in the ways of um in, in the same way that Southall is now. Yeah, he'd sit you down and he'd talk to you about the inherent flaws in neoliberalism. Yeah. And why it basically leading to social injustice yeah. all over the country, Sam. But then he would relive um Oldham's you know, early nineties salad days under Joe Royal. Yeah, and talk about the time when he kicked um, John Skills up the bollocks. Yeah. Good. I mean, Oldham, it's funny you look back and you think the weird success stories of that era. And I'm not just talking about Shabaranks and Snap. But, <laughs> you know, Oldham Athletic and Norwich City and Sheffield United, these were the preeminent sides of they the were, era. But they were you like- talk about the big five had slipped out of the picture, yeah. but they'd been replaced in that top five by Wednesday... Um, QPR were big Q- then. Queen's Park Rangers, when they, they, they had a veteran Ray Wilkins playing for them. Norwich, Blackburn, Wimbledon. Wimbledon. I mean, now you've got Huddersfield and you've got um, Watford. That's true, but these teams were dominant. These were not shit teams who were just managing to cling on to mid-table. These teams, the Oldhams and the Norwiches, they were having really consistently good cup runs. They had players who were really like the outstanding players. You know, Andy Ritchie. Of course, was a real star striker for Oldham, wasn't well, he? Look- Joe Royal went on. Both clubs ended up losing their manager to Everton. Everton yeah. specialised in spotting managers doing well at shit clubs, nicking them, and, and then them. the managers became shit. <laughs> but if you look at the top five that first season, Manchester United, Aston Villa, Norwich, Blackburn, QPR, that's not your big five. It's not. Whereas now you can pretty much predict what the top six or whatever is going to be in the Premier League, mm. season on season. Just yeah, because is what well, you couldn't judge it on financial might or exactly. muscle, could you? Whereas now you can work it out. Notwithstanding Leicester, you can you can work it out on the basis of how much they're going to spend in the transfer window. Yeah, the money hadn't kicked in, had it? No. Um, here's a, a, a inexplicable fact for you: Chelsea, Stamford Bridge, 1993. Mm. Still had cars parked behind the goal. Oh yeah, I, I attended Stamford Bridge on a number of occasions in that era with West Ham, that, uh, which that were, does my editing. which were always very pleasant affairs. <laughs> I'm sure and they were. it was, and I was always, you know, I mean, whose cars were they? I don't know, but it was so weird. It was such a weird ground. Because they had some behind the goal, and then there was some kind of in the corner, parked in a row. Yeah, like like as if it was just a car park. I would. I think when they? I was a kid. The first time I went there, I went to QPR, Chelsea, with my brother who's a QPR fan, on a w- midweek night, and I was really young. I was about nine or ten. It was really terrifying. So it was a West London derby. I remember seeing the cars and assuming they were the players' cars. I thought, yeah, the players Perhaps drive the to the game. <laughs> they drive right up to pitch side, already changed. Yeah. They get out, switch off their radio, switch off <laughs> Gary Davis, you know, get out, step out of the car and straight onto the, onto the pitch. Like Hackney Marshes on yeah. a Sunday morning. It, that's what I assumed was going on. And maybe it was, I don't know. Perhaps it was. And speaking of Chelsea, here's another outstanding fact for you from the first season in the Premier League. Do you know how many managers were sacked during that first season? Go on. One. Amazing. And it was Chelsea's very own Ian Porterfield. I remember him, yeah. 
and he was sacked. And obviously, Chelsea wanted to take things to the next level mm. with the inst- onset of the Premier League. Yeah. So they replaced him with Dave Webb. Of course, <laughs> Webbo. I mean, that is amazing. One manager sacked. One manager One sacked. Ma- you, I mean, can you imagine that? Now it's three games. You're well. You're only ever three games away, aren't you? Get you get one sacked in the first weekend these days. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is it. it. It was a golden era for films, by the way. I mean, the music. It wasn't a great era for music. We were we were kind of between defining music sort of yeah. moments, I think. And and ditto as we've discussed the football because it was the tail end of old football, but the the real Premier League magic was yet to kick in. Yeah. But in Hollywood, Andy, <laughs> my God, this was never mind. People talk about the seventies, don't they? And and the Raging Bulls, Easy Riders era. Yeah, this was a great was era. Ninety two, ninety three. 92, you had Basic Instinct. Whoa. What a movie, eh? <laughs> exactly. Just like the word, like that thing in the word. Second mention of yeah. someone getting their vagina out. Two yeah. vaginas in Episode one year. One, two vaginas. Two vaginas in one year. And most years in the 90s, I didn't see one. No. Uh, they were like buses. Um, <laughs> uh, conversely, the crying game, a cock when you expected a vagina. Uh, there's the there's the little twist in the tail there. You think, I'm sitting there watching the crying game. I'm thinking, I can't believe it. I've already seen that fanny on the word. Then I've seen the one in basically. Here comes the hat trick. Oh, my God, it's a cock. So the the crying game. Apologies if you've never seen the crying game. Yeah, sorry, I've just ruined it. Sorry about Um, that. Batman Returns. No fannies in that. But blimey, I think in that cat suit you saw Pfeiffer's camel's toe. Sorry. After starting this show... By railing against the misogyny and sexism of Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, mm. we are now descending into behaviour that is uh, what you would expect from them. And I can only apologise. We're almost certain to be removed and sent to the Middle East. However, Batman Returns. Michelle Pfeiffer was bang tidy yep. in Batman Returns. And it is a brilliant, it's my favourite of those Batman films, the original and better Batman films. Yeah. Uh, a Few Good Men, Wayne's World. White Men Can't Jump, which I re-watched the other day with my daughter. Any reason why? It was, was it just I, think, I can't remember. She'd seen Woody Harrelson in a number of films like The Hunger Games, which she's a big fan of, right? right. So she's thinking, oh, I quite like him. He's quite a funny actor. So I said, wait till you see White Men Can't Jump. That's Harrelson's best film. She hadn't seen him blow his brains out in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And oh, thought, you're just oh, giving... Oh, I haven't seen oh, that movie. Spoiler. How many more oh, films do you want God. to give away? Sorry. Anyway, that's a great film. And then, of course, The Bodyguard, um, which permeated our charts as well for about six months. And let's hear a little bit of music on the back of that. <laughs> That's Rotterdam Termination Sauce there and Poing. Wasn't that... Which is the... Uh, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston no, no, from the, the Bodyguard. No, no, I decided not to play oh, that. Okay. That's the polar opposite of I Will... Mm. I will. The thing is, I used to work in Owl Price back <gasps> then. That's amazing, mate. That's so yeah, glamorous. Job you ever, kept that quiet. Yeah, talk, working in Owl well, Price. I'm going to do another podcast series about that at the later date. What perks did you get working in Owl Price? Uh, 25% discount and you could smoke behind the counter. That's amazing. Did you yeah. use a lot of your wages on... All of it. You just spent all, all of it on Fags and Records. Back in the till, But yeah. I mean, Jesus, and by the way, that is a good name for a podcast, Fags and Records. I think it is, yeah. Where you discuss your favourite fags ever yeah. and your favourite records and the best, ideas the best combinations. 
So yeah, I worked at Errol Price, and I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston was number one for, fuck me, it must have been about 16 weeks. Well, listen, mate, if you took away the fact that it tortured us all for a long time, just like Brian Adams' Everything I Do. Which was released on the first day I was on the job. Right. So you had two of the most long-running number ones ever under your watch. I'm not blaming you for three, them. Three. Three. I had wet, wet, wet lovers all around yeah. as well. So it was and the era I, of long, the era of long-running number ones. But, I mean, I don't know whether this is controversial or not. It might be. I, I think that Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is actually, a, if not great, a good song ruined by being at number one for so long yeah with hindsight now that look re- at it in isolation really it, yeah now that's that all i would urge you to do faces constantly like it was then now it's a fantastic song yeah because whitney houston was someone as a singer who almost any song she did was really great because yeah. of her voice and so it was great but now we all look back and shiver at the thought of it so all i'm saying is Let's revise our assessment now that time right. has passed. But it's not as good as point by Rotterdam no. Termination Source, is it? No. This, this is it. it! Before we go, I'm going to go through some shit shirt sponsors from the 92, 93 Great. season. Um, if I tell you the name of the sponsors, do you think you'd be able to guess the teams? Oh, yeah, go on then. Give it a go, eh? Mitre Copiers. Villa. Whoa! Fison's. Oh, that's easy, Ipswich, because Fison's is a fertiliser, isn't it? It is, And yeah. so it's a proper, it's a perfect, sometimes the perfect sponsor meets the perfect club. It's a match made in heaven. And Fison's and Ipswich, the Tractor Boys with a fertiliser brand is perfect. It's like West Ham and Dr it's Martins. It's possibly the only club that's ever been sponsored by bomb-making equipment. Really? Fertiliser bombs, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Ipswich. Who had your John Lyle? So you're complaining that West Ham were relegated the season before, but your hero, John Lyle, from the 80s, He'd saw which wind, he did, where the, he did which where the wind was blowing. He was, he was there. But I think he was... Was he the director of football? So, nah, that takes us on to 93. Oh, 94. okay. Whoa. All right. Whoa, no hold no, that no more spoilers, Sam. Yeah. No more spoilers. Classic FM. Who did they sponsor? Queen's Park Rangers. Very good. Now then, Lever. Well, sponsor? look, I know this, but full disclosure, I know that's Sheffield United, but that's because I've just been looking at pictures of Alan Cork, of Corky. And Sanderson. Don't know. Sheffield Wednesday. What is Sanderson? Well, the question is, what was Lever and what was Sanderson? And why did they sponsor the Sheffield teams? I've got no steel. idea. Steel. They've got to be you steel brand. Well, it's a guess, isn't it? Lever did the forks, Sanderson did the knives. Yeah, that's it. Who did the spoons? It was a weird union thing back then, right, when the union still had a bit of a pull, is that you could not manufacture both items of cutlery. Right. They all You had to specialise in one. One or the other. Yeah. Okay. And the last one, I was going to ask you, who sponsored Wimbledon that first season? Uh, I don't know, give up. You'll never get it because they didn't have a sponsor. Ah, okay. Ah, West Ham had to do a season like that. Arguably nothing more humiliating than playing out a whole season without a sponsor. Did West Ham not have to tape over their sponsor? One that was season another season. I mean, <laughs> one season we just couldn't get a sponsor, which is obviously humiliating when you think even teams in the conference had a sponsor. And then another season, our, our sponsor went bankrupt. They couldn't pay us. It was a plane company, and wasn't we it? just we co- Yeah, we covered up the sponsor with really bad, like stickers with the, te- with the squad number on them. Could they not have just painted RIP at the bottom? Just embarrassing. Just Some really awards for 92 93. Player of the Year, Paul McGrath. 
That's Amazing. Very Paul McGrath. He had no knees. No knees. And I've, I don't think I'm out of line in saying, because I think he's on the record about this, he had a, a quite bad drink problem. He survived on Guinness and Chaos, apparently. Guinness and Chaos. <laughs> yeah. No knees. And yet was still... And never trained. Never trained. And yet was still man of the match every week. He was. And player of the season. Who was the League Managers Association manager of the season, though? Okay, uh, well... You've got the league table in front of you there, Ferguson, you? you know, won the league, so it would usually be him. the first time in 26 years, you think it would But I'm going to go Mike Walker. Mike Walker because of his endeavours at Norwich? Yeah. Afraid not. The winner, the winner of the League Managers Association Manager of the Year was... Dave Bassett at Sheffield United. Bizarre. Who finished 14th. That's very strange. Got to the cup semi-final. Maybe it's because they made a documentary series inside Sheffield United that year. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. No. Yeah, they did a whole year flying all. I think it was that season where with Sheffield United with Dave Bassett in charge, and there's great clips you can watch on YouTube of him losing his shit with them in the changing room. Right. And I even remember the theme tune: United, 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 we stand. United, we fall one and all. Wow. Yeah. Is that on YouTube, I wonder? I hope so. I mean, I hate Sheffield United now, but back then because I can honestly say I was indifferent to them. Well, that's possibly why he got he got the Manager of the Year award then for his um, lifting, lifting the lid, as yeah. it were, on, on what goes on. Um, and really, finally, a goodbye. We're going to end each episode <laughs> with a goodbye. Someone who leaves the Premier League or leaves football for the last time in our given season. And this week, it's Brian Clough. Yeah, what a course, shame. Sadly retired at the end of the 92. 93. He'd reached the end of the road. He had. He, you know, and parallels with Arsene Wenger now. Very much so. Mm. Except Arsene Wenger isn't steaming drunk every week. No, as far as we know. As far as we know. He's, <laughs> he's French, though, so he probably hides it. Exactly. Better, Frenchmen he? have a really good yeah. way of remaining in control when pissed. <laughs> yeah, that's how they manage to get off with your women. And um, I reckon that's that's about it from the first episode then of uh, Top Flight Time Machine. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at TF Time Machine. And we're going to be back shortly with uh, season 93-94. Anything else you'd like to add, Sam? Yeah, um, just uh, while I've got your attention, the TV shows of this season, if, when you weren't watching Richard Keyes or Des Lynham, were Men Behaving Badly, Heartbeat, Gladiators, Games Master... And birds of a feather. How awful. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Here we go. 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 This is it. An addendum to the, to the episode, we've got our producer, Ricky, who is... Uh, how old's Ricky? 24. 24. Yeah. And uh, what did you think of that, Ricky? Did you learn anything? Oh, I learned a lot, yeah. yeah. It's all before my time. Yeah. So, um, you know, rather than nostalgia, it's just education. When were you born, Ricky? November 93. So you're young. You're younger than the stuff we were talking about. You were in your dad's... Um... You're younger than the Premier League. I am younger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were in I your dad's in just, bollocks. Just as it, it was 92, wasn't it? it was that the whole... 92, 92, 93. Well, you're not listening. You've just been listening to me for the last 40 no, minutes. I, I wouldn't have been surprised Jesus. if you were conceived um, in the, the, the perhaps the start of that season. Yeah, I mean, doing the maths would be the February. He may have been so, you know, excited at the prospect of the soon-to-be-launched Premier League. And I'll tell you what else that mm. is on my list of stuff to talk about I didn't get round to. It happened in 92-93. David Meller sacked from the government for having it off with a Chelsea shirt on. Now, Ricky, which team does your dad support? Chelsea. Is your dad David Meller? Uh, no. Oh. Well... You say that. Can you be sure? Is your mother, what was her name? 
D'Souza or something. Oh, Antonio. That was the woman he had the affair with, wasn't it? Antonio Decadene. Well, that was the from the word, wasn't it? Yeah, she was. She was. She was married to uh, John Taylor. David. I don't think either of them. Antonia de Sancha. Yeah. Is your mum Antonia de Sancha? No, not that I'm aware of. David right. Meller wears spectacles. What is Ricky wearing on his spectacles? <laughs> you are the son of David Meller, and I claim my five pounds. The sun, the Sunday sport, sport and Sunday used to always call him Bumface Meller. <laughs> you don't have a face like a bum, Ricky. So I think you're safe, Ricky. The the, the key thing is, is that. If you were not a man in his 40s, exactly like me and Andy, would you have any interest or understanding of the podcast? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was uh, it was a nice piece. I had it on in the background. I was doing you know other bits and pieces. Admin. No, I was. I wasn't giving you full attention. But uh, no, it was it was a nice <laughs> listen. What was your favourite bit? <laughs> uh, I, I do enjoy the, the bits of slagging off Richard Keys and uh, Andy Gray. Mm. I'm just hoping, you know, the, the lawyers might come after you. Yeah, it'd be yeah. fun. They're in the, the UAE, they can't touch us. No, they're not. Dubai so, law doesn't reach exactly. this far. Then we're not subject to their laws. They can try and get our hands cut off as much as they want. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm looking forward to whichever year it was when they did their, they got sacked from Sky, they, they, they did a, um, a YouTube show at a park. They did one episode of it. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. And that was quickly pulled from YouTube as well when it was met with disdain from everybody. Yeah, they punched a woman in it. No, not really. <laughs> not really. If you're listening, the lawyers in Qatar, then uh, that's, that was just, comedy. that's just banter. Yeah. Right, okay. So we'll look forward to Ricky reviewing our next show. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.